0: Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, 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 Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff.
1: We're talking shift. Hello, everyone. I'm Lori Bischoff. Welcome to We're Talking Shift, where my guest, DeJour and I talk shift because the antidote to feeling stuck begins in our minds with a shift in our thinking. And shifting often means that we have got to take action and go rogue. At some point, the guests that I interview have gone rogue and made a shift that altered the course of their life. Talking about those radical shifts and how they ultimately changed their lives for the better is what I am so passionate about passionate about sharing with you in the hopes that you too will be inspired to go rogue when you need to make some shifts happen in your own life. Today's guest is someone that I've known for almost 20 years. You could say that she's been financial architect of our lives. And because of some of the things that she advised us to do and to put into place, let me tell you, she really helped save our asses more than once when we managed to get ourselves in a bind. Annie Groth is a certified family business specialist. She's a master's certification from the American College. She's a Valley of the Sun Athena Award recipient, which is an award that acknowledges individuals who are committed to their profession, uh, to their community, and to helping other women achieve their full leadership potential. She has received congressional recognition twice. In addition to numerous other awards, because there are a lot, let me tell you, Annie is definitely a trailblazer. She's a self described good sibling, a good friend, and a great wife. So let's get her on here. I'm so excited to have her. Annie, welcome to We're Talking Shift.
0: Hey Lori, it's great to be here today. Thanks for inviting me to be here on this Monday.
1: Yeah, I am so excited to have you on because you know, this is a topic that I have not touched on at all yet. And it's been, you know, I've been getting the intuitive nudge to to bring it up. And I think it's it's really important and I think a lot of people, you know, they don't really look at it as like personal growth or self-improvement or spiritual, emotional fitness, all the things that I'm usually focused on. But I think that financial health and wellness is every bit as spiritual and and important is all of those other aspects of our lives. So it may seem boring to some people, but I think it's exciting and I think it's really important. So I'm I'm really, really glad that you're able to spend some time with us today to talk about this subject.
0: Well, I think you're right on target. You know, as you know, I've said for years and years that we need to be connected as you talk about mind, body and, and uh, spirit And financial well-being is one of those things that we kind of leave out in the South 40. And it's one of the most important things that keeps us up at night. It makes us happy. It makes us sad. It makes us scared. And for you to bring this in, I think that you are very right on target to bring this topic in.
1: Yeah, good. That's that's how I feel. So I think where I want to start is let's let's just clue everybody in more about you. So let's okay. start with what exactly is a family business specialist and and what drew you into this whole genre?
0: Well, the certification to become a certified family business specialist was something I was, I don't know, five or six years ago, I was looking for a way to expand my practice, and to broaden my horizons. And I was talking to a woman uh, that said, you know, Annie, you might consider looking at the Family Business Specialist Certification. And it was a year-long program uh, that required uh, planning. It required school, lots of school. I I used to say the attorneys would just open their mouth and turn on the fire hose. (laughs) And uh, And so I put that into my practice, which was already focused on the primary focus of my business has always been on women, because I think that, you know, we are many times we're the last to know. And we really, quite frankly, should be the first to know, because if women have their life jackets on, they're going to bring everybody else along with them and they're going to save whether it's the family unit, friends. Uh, whomever it is. And I just think that it's important. And as you know, women-owned business has really exploded in the last uh, couple of decades. And so I think it's important that women have the opportunity to be in the know all the time, whether it's individually or with their business.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So how did you end up Uh, you know, what led you to this in the first place? So that was, you know, the certification and, Mm -hmm. and I, and I'm really looking forward to diving in more about, um, about specifically women's roles, uh, with their finances, but take me back for a minute to, to your story, to your backstory.
0: So I spent 20 years in the restaurant business and, I started in management, and I eventually wound up owning a Quiznos, a classic subs, and I owned the rights to the state of Kansas, had a Quiznos in Colorado, and I worked in that industry for a very long time, and one day, uh, I had put, literally, put 72,000 miles on my car, in one year, I had worked like a crazy person. And I just knew that if I didn't change something, I was going to have a premature death, literally. Um, I'll be very candid, I weighed uh, 238 pounds, I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. And all I did was work. And it's like, you have to stop this. And so I made a phone call one afternoon and I made it to a Quiznos franchisee. And I said, look, I'm going to sell my business. Are you interested? And he, you know, I knew that he had a dad that, you know, had a very savvy background and had money, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And they called me back and they said, we'll take it. And at that point, I knew I hadn't done my homework. I didn't ask for enough money, but I went ahead and sold it anyway. And so that was one of the first uh, clues, if you will, that it's like you need to know more about money. And then I moved uh, to Phoenix, Arizona, and I was invited in to become a client of a very uh, prominent financial planner she's uh, known worldwide. And uh, as I was listening to the things that she was telling me about her philosophy about money, which was pretty unorthodox, I was like one of my West Highland Terriers, and you probably know this with your dog, mm-hmm. uh, Nikki, you know, yeah. she tilts your head, and, and <laughs> it's the same thing I was doing. I'm like, right. well, I, I'm successful. Why don't I know that? Well, why didn't anybody tell me that? And what? And so, anyway, I agreed to become her client, and uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, when I agreed to become her client, I'd, as I said, I'd sold my business, and I thought I had one of those aha moments. I was 43 years old, and it's like, you know, I said to myself, if I have to play golf with one more 80-year-old man, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> and <laughs> so... I thought, I should be doing this. I'm a successful businesswoman. Why don't I do this? And so, as any driven entrepreneur, I found a way to get into the business. Uh, she became my mentor, and, you know, here I am 19 years later.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you wanted to get into it. So, you were... You were fascinated by it. You were learning all this stuff. And then is that what kind of drove you to feel like I need to help other people or other women learn this stuff too?
0: Well, you know, I listened to story after story and primarily affecting women, whether they were young women, middle-aged, older women, women who had lost their spouses, their significant others, and the devastation that it caused because... If you think about it, Lori, there are three kinds of knowledge in the world, only three. Um, and the first one, which is the smallest fraction, is we know what we know, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next one is we know that we don't know. So the example I like to use is, I know that I don't know how to pull somebody's tooth and not make it hurt. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know how to do that. Right. But the one that hurts all of this is that we don't know that we don't know. And that's what really drove me. And if you think about it, like, for example, when I meet with someone now, whether it's about my car, it's something about, you know, we have a new house, if it's a contractor or whomever it is, if it's something that I don't feel like that I'm an expert in, I ask them my biggest question, and this is one worth writing down is what don't I know
1: to ask you? Mm, because, that's a good one. I'm actually writing that down right now. Right? right? Because yeah. many times we'll walk away
0: from a meeting and say, oh, that was great. Whatever it was. And then you walk away and whether it's your car repair, your money, your health, your whatever. And it, and then you'll go, it's like, well, you didn't tell me that. Well, you didn't ask me. <laughs> so. Yeah. right? I mean, everybody's experienced that. So that's really a, a really a great question to ask someone is what don't I know to ask you?
1: Oh, I love that. I wish I would have known that a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think I could have saved myself uh, and my, my husband several bites in the ass. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. So,
0: so And one of the other things that was an impetus for me, I was in the waiting room one time waiting for my mentor uh, in the lobby, and I was reading Forbes magazine, and this was back in 2000. I was reading Forbes magazine, and in the front of the magazine, there was an article of how great 401k plans are. And in the back of the magazine, there was an article of how awful they are. But here's the real kicker to that story. They were by the same author. And so, yep. And so, you know, when you think about that, who pays that author to write it? Well, the fund companies do. And so what really made me start thinking about how do you determine the truth about money? Because everybody's got some sort of bent that's why that, um, law passed or tried to pass a couple of years ago, uh, when, uh, Obama was still in office about, you know, us becoming, everybody had to become a fiduciary so that financial planners would do what's best for the client and not Mm -hmm. what's best for them, you know, the made off and all that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that never came to fruition. And, um, So it was like I was on a mission and especially, again, to help women.
1: Yeah. So, okay, I I have so many questions. But before I move on, I I want to just take a second because a lot of Uh people, a lot of people might not know exactly what that means to be a fiduciary. I didn't know until about four years ago. I, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that word meant. So let's just define that real quick in case somebody listening doesn't know. And then we'll move on.
0: Well, the the simplest way to uh, determine that, you know, they're a fiduciary uh, in many uh, categories, not just in financial services. But the biggest piece is if a fiduciary, if you ask your financial advisor or whomever you meet with is, are you a fiduciary? And the biggest uh, thing that you need to know, it's a certain level of responsibility and I have the legal responsibility for managing somebody else's money, and that I have to do what's best for you, not what's best for me.
1: Okay, so if a person says, no, I'm not a fiduciary, then it's kind of like buyer beware.
0: It could be buyer beware. A lot of people in the industry uh, have not gotten the licensure to become uh, a fiduciary. Doesn't make them bad, but make sure you know who referred you to that person and make sure that you have references um, that someone can uh, say, yes, here's why I'm grateful that I'm working with this person. Here's what they've saved me. Here's what they told me not to do. Here's, you know, whatever it is, but make sure you know how you got to
1: that person. Okay, all right. And if they are a fiduciary, then you then you have that um, the, they have that, I guess, title for for a reason that ensures that they have to do things that are absolutely in your best interest when it comes to managing your money. Would that be They're the right supposed way to, say that? to Okay.
0: Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, there are rogues everywhere. And just because somebody has that um, licensure doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going to be dishonest. Okay. But, you know, hopefully it's, you know, it's a, a break, if you will, on somebody who, um, because we have a higher standard that we have to adhere to uh, and can be held legally responsible doesn't mean other people can't. I mean, that's why all of us have to carry what's called E&O insurance. If we make a mistake, which is the error, or if we make an omission, if we forget to tell you something or we don't tell you on purpose, um, that's why we all have to carry what's called E&O insurance.
1: Okay. Got it. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. All right. So, you really decided that your focus and your passion was going to be on helping women primarily with their financial health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And so tell me about why why you decided to focus on mainly on women. What drove you to do that?
0: You know, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories, favorite, and I use that in, if you would see me, air quotes, favorite. mm mm-hmm. um, a daughter uh, brought her mother to see me, and her mother was in her mid 70s at the time. And um, her stepfather had recently passed away, and she had the home that she was living in, the mom had the home she was living in, and a rental. And she said, You know, I'm going to be fine. And when I went through the numbers, you know, it was one of those, well, actually you're not. And here's why. And her daughter said to me, you know, Annie, don't worry. I'll make sure that mom, mom is taken care of. And I know many parents um, have that as some level of comfort that their children will make sure that they're okay. Three weeks later, her 47 year old daughter passed away. And so, the woman who had promised that don't worry mom you're going to be okay was now gone and uh, i'll tell you those kinds of things happen all of the time whether we hear about them or we don't and it's just tragic another uh, story uh, that really propelled me to work with women i met with this couple and husband and wife kids in college and um, they both really got what I was talking about with the protection component of their lives. There are 27 places that we can put money, and one of the most critical components of everything we do is our protection component, whether it's our car insurance, our homeowner's insurance, our medical insurance, making sure that our social security, because that's a form of insurance, is correct, whether our will and trust is in place, our disability income protection or our life insurance is correct. Well, when I went through that with them, they totally got it. And so I had in my desk drawer, a million dollar signed application for both of them. And they wanted to make sure that they sent in their first month's premium with that application. Because if you pay for it and something happens to you in the interim, if you would have been found to be insurable, the life insurance company would pay that benefit to your beneficiary. So I called them probably four times. Yes, we'll send the check. Yes, we'll send the check. Yes, we'll send the check. Didn't hear from them, didn't hear from them. And so finally, um, after Christmas, it was three days after Christmas, I called um, the woman's law firm and her assistant said to me, she's out. And I said, Oh, did her daddy pass away? And because her dad had been very ill Mm -hmm. and she said, yes. And her husband too. Oh, (gasps) and I was, I, he walked out on the driveway on Christmas Eve and died of a brain aneurysm. And So finally, after that, um, I finally got to talk to her uh, two or three days after that. She said, don't worry. He totally understood what you were saying, and he increased his life insurance coverage at work. Great. So then she calls me back on January 5th, hysterical, and I'm like, what's the matter? His new life insurance didn't take effect until January 5 or January 1. And so he died Christmas Eve. And so both of her kids had to leave college. Now, I I could say this uh, in retrospect. She remarried in less than a year. And I don't know if she remarried because she loved him or because she had to or maybe a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of stories with women just, you know, they really get to me and it's like, ladies, you got to know, I'll tell you one more and then we can, you can ask me whatever questions you want. Mm -hmm. Um, I had uh, another woman, um, a lesbian couple uh, in, in my office, and they agreed to come in and plan. And one of them uh, was killed in an auto accident. They lived together. They had a house together. Well, unfortunately, the one who was killed, and they didn't think about it, did not change her beneficiary on her big 401k, did not have a beneficiary on the mortgage on the house. Her ex-husband got everything. And so her life partner, they'd been together for nine years, was left out in the cold. And there wasn't one single solitary thing that could be done about it. Oh, my so God. Those, yeah. Those mm-hmm. kinds of stories are what have led me to really
1: focus on women. Mm-hmm. OK, so so let's talk about that. So you've been doing this now for a long time. And one of the things that I've been wondering, especially now that, um, you know, my children are grown and they're in their early thirties and one of them is a, is a daughter. Um, and she's very, and she's very, um, kind of obsessed, which I think is awesome because I sure wasn't at that age. I was clueless. But she's obsessed with, what do I need to do, you know, to be setting myself up? She's like, how am I going to take care of myself when I retire? She's already thinking about those things now. And um, right. and so my question for you is, have you noticed any change in over these past you know, couple of decades in the degree to which women are becoming more involved in their financial well-being, especially women that, you know, that are married. Uh, Because I know in the past, naturally in old uh, traditional roles, it was more common that you know, the, the man was managing all of that and the wife just sort of, um, you know, assumed the best, I guess. So have you noticed uh, a big change or where do things kind of stand today when it comes to women's involvement?
0: Well, I guess the simple answer is in a word, no.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's
0: really disturbing to me that even some of the younger women still depend on someone else, Um, you know, don't open statements, they're fearful, they say, I don't understand. And one of the things, Lori, that I always say to women is that I should never hear, you should never say, I've got a guy, whether the I've got a guy is your dad, your husband, your brother, your next door neighbor, or I've got, even I've got a gal. You know, you need to understand what's going on with your money, what the ups and downs are, how it's invested, what's going on with the market. Are you saving appropriately? And most importantly, is your protection component in order? And then um, are you making sure that everything you're doing is efficient and coordinated and integrated? Because many times we'll see Strategies that fight each other, and we lose the complete efficiency of our money. And so, the biggest thing is ladies, open your statements, understand it, and make sure that the person that you're going to is educating you rather than just telling you. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to ask the questions. You know, if somebody makes you feel, you know, <laughs> I had a woman one time tell me that she went to a financial advisor and he literally, you can't make this up, told her, you just need to get married. (laughs) (gasps) (laughs) You can't make it up.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, So... Well, there's one strategy, uh, right, (laughs) right, right. But, and speaking of that, so you said a minute ago, a second ago, you said sometimes there are people that have strategies in place that actually fight each other. Give me an example of that. So,
0: uh, you know, again, uh, one of my main focuses is in the protection component Mm -hmm. and many, uh, young people will either have, um, group life insurance, or they'll have term life insurance, and again, in air quotes, because it's cheap. Well, many times, let's say, how old is your daughter? How old is Montana?
1: Uh, 33. (laughs) (laughs) 30 something. I got to quick do math, quick do math. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say she's 30 something. Yeah. And most young people. Born in 85, so whatever that math is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. 34. She'll be 34
1: this year. She'll be 34 later this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So (laughs) let's say most young people, healthy young people, can buy the maximum length of term policy they can buy is 30 years. Do you suppose, in order for Montana to win that she's interested in being dead by the time she's 64?
1: Pretty sure n- no. <laughs> no. Pretty so, sure no is the answer.
0: <laughs> well, term life insurance has its place. But if, if that's a strategy that you're going to use, and this is why it's a loser, less than one quarter of 1% of people ever cash in on life insurance, cause they don't die on time.
1: <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So you got to schedule your death in order to take advantage. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yep. That's good to know. Cause yeah. I'm sure a lot of people don't cause you're right. People are going as, you know, well, this is affordable. So this is what I can do, but, right. it, but that's With a strategy. No strategy in place. Right. right. Okay that's
0: tactile. It's not a strategy, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, Check mark. I bought life insurance, but what's your strategy with it? Right. And yeah. so if you buy life insurance properly, I call, um, I call the right kind of life insurance. It's kind of like a Swiss army knife. It has so many jobs that it can do, yeah. you know, so that's kind of one of the strategies, you know, let's look at car insurance. Many people will have a $250 or a $500 deductible. If you had a car accident and the damage was $500 or less, would you turn it into your car insurance for damages? No. Of course not. You'd pay it out of pocket. Yeah. So why wouldn't you increase your deductible to $1,000, transfer more of the risk to the insurance company And save money on your premium. Why wouldn't you do that? Because nobody told you about it. That's one of those things you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. So, right? And so I just think it's really important to get your education and don't just, you know, go into somebody's office, whether it's your property and casualty person, your financial advisor your person at work who's helping you with your 401k, the advisor there, you know, whomever it is, and just shake your head up and down and say, oh, okay, I got it. No, you don't. And make sure they can verify what the, that, that they're telling you, because many people will tell you something, but that doesn't mean that it's verified. It's just something they learned and they bought it. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you know it's the truth? Yeah, many many years that many years ago, you know, and you can put into this category, and I'm going to name names: Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, Jane Bryan Quinn. Uh, you know, those people. I call them financial entertainers. They're not financial experts. They're financial entertainers, and people put stock in that. Well. You know, when was the last time that, you know, (laughs) Dave Ramsey used to talk about you could get a 12% rate of return? Well, we have for the last two or three, four years since 2009. But in 2009, we had a 42% loss in the market. Right. And so I, I get that, you know, his big deal is getting people out of debt, which I agree with, but you need to make sure that you're doing it efficiently and effectively.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, I love your, um, I love your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like analogy of, of calling, uh, a, an insurance plan, a Swiss army knife so right. that it can do multiple things. And I think that that's, I know firsthand how important that is because, right? you know, because we've been working together for, for almost 20 years now. And because of the things that you put in place for us and and helped us figure out what was going to work best, um, when we did hit some speed bumps and screw up, we actually had to pull out one of those little gadgets on that sweet Swiss Army knife, and it saved our asses for sure. And until we kind of bounced back. So that's a really, really important thing. I I think that a lot of people don't know that your um, insurance isn't like what you were just talking about a few minutes ago. It doesn't have to be just that, like that one size where it's term, you buy it. And then when you die, somebody else gets it. That's, that's not, that's not like you say not really a strategy and certainly you're not going to have the um the benefit of being able to use it in different ways should that need arise or or later on when you know when there's a, an an opportunity for you to use it before you die
0: well yes and you know many people don't understand if you own life insurance Properly, it can be used for uh, college education and you control it. Uh, It's not susceptible to the whims of the market and you don't have to report it to FAFSA. Everything else that you have in your financial portfolio is reportable to financial aid. Cash value life insurance is not. You know, and Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if. You remember, Lori, I think, uh, you know, of course, we were working together. But back in 2004, when I changed that law in Arizona, you know, to protect cash value inside of life insurance so yes. that it's protected 100 percent from creditors.
1: Yeah. yeah, that was my next question. So let's talk about that for a second. So you you actually changed the law to protect 100 percent of the cash value inside the life insurance and annuities from Creditors, because what was yep. it previously, and then tell why that's so significant.
0: So, it used to be in the state of Arizona that the cash value inside of life insurance was only protected up to $50,000. And some of these older life insurance policies have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of cash value inside of them. And so, imagine if you get into an accident or you do something really ridiculous and you get sued. And so let's say that you have um, a million dollar life insurance policy and back in the day, uh, and let's say that you had, we'll just say $200,000 cash inside of it. Well, creditors could be assigned the $150,000, And the cash value that you would have in there would only be 50,000. And so it's really critical, you know, so when I found that out and um, then uh, state Senator Gabby Giffords, uh, she and I had a meeting and (laughs) she said to me, I'll never forget. She said to me, if you don't like the law, why don't you just come down here and change it? Mm. And so I took that challenge on because I realized that people were not hiding money inside of life insurance or annuities to protect them from creditors. But at that same vein, if you had an accident or you got into a lawsuit, I wanted that money to be on the same level playing field as your 401k because the money in a 401k um, is protected from creditors. In the state of Arizona, um, I don't know how many people know this, but uh, in your home, the equity in your home is only protected up to $150,000. So again, if you get into a lawsuit, you know, it's just really important that you understand how the financial vehicles that you own, can you keep them if something were to happen.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, because if you don't ask and you don't know, you you could yep. easily find out the hard way. You you go along thinking you have this safety right. net. And then right. you know, then you, the the shift hits the fan <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden it, you only have a fraction of it. Yep. That would be devastating. Yep. Yes.
0: Mm. You know, the same thing on um I'll just go to one more Point that's critically important, well, maybe two more uh, in the protection component your social security statement. You know, they quit mailing those out as a money savings. And everybody on their birthday, every single year, should go to www.ssa.gov and print out their social security statement. Why? Because if there's a mistake on your income on there, you only have three years to correct it. So it's really vitally important that you know, is it correct? Many people also don't know, and you know, who knows when the law will change or the ages will change. But if you don't start collecting benefits until age 70, you'll get a 32% increase in your income. So again, it's so critical to talk about strategies rather than just piecing something together and making sure when should I collect mine? Should I wait? What should I do? And it's just really important. Mm -hmm. Divorcees, you know, if they were married for 10 years and have been divorced um, when they get to be of age, they can still collect 50% of their ex-husband's benefit. doesn't Mm -hmm. affect his or hers. Mm -hmm. But you can still collect uh, 50% of that benefit. So it's really important that you understand that. And then lastly, uh, especially for, you know, like people, you know, Montana's age, you know,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. one, you know, so many of those kids will become too sick or hurt to go to work. And if they don't have a paycheck tomorrow, what's going to happen? Yeah. So disability income protection is really, really important.
1: Okay. So what? um, Hmm. I'm I'm trying to decide if I want to talk about um, money mistakes or ask you if life insurance loans. What about that? What is that all about? And if are they good or bad?
0: Well, the most important thing when we borrow money from any source is that we pay it back. Life insurance loans, um, you know, we don't have to wait till we're 59 and a half. There aren't, you know, it's not like the life insurance company is going to come knock on your door and say, you know, I want you to pay me tomorrow. Uh, You can pay it back or you cannot. Mm -hmm. But if you don't pay the loan back, let's say you have a million dollar policy and you have a. $200,000 loan out and you died yesterday, your beneficiary, your death benefits a million dollars and you have a $200,000 loan, your beneficiary would receive uh, $800,000 because they're paying the loan back to the insurance company and any interest that's due on that loan. But it's, uh, you know, it's a great way to leverage your money. Again, it's great for college. I have a lot of parents who will buy uh, life insurance on their babies when they're born. So they start building uh, that cash value up mm-hmm. uh, for them when they go to college, when they're 18, because again, it's not reportable. It's not susceptible to the stock market. So some parents <clears throat> want to do 529 plans or they want to do uniform gift of minor accounts, which are attached to the market. Nothing wrong with those things, but if the market crashes the day before they're supposed to leave to go to Stanford and they have to go to community college, nothing wrong with community colleges, but it wasn't where your hopes and dreams were, you know, yeah. so yeah. it's just really important to understand the benefits of how to use these things. I'll, you know, personal um, experience, I uh, years ago bought a uh, Lexus coupe. And didn't want to borrow the money from Lexus. I didn't want to borrow the money uh, from the bank. I didn't want to take money out of savings to pay for it. So I borrowed the money from my cash value life insurance policy, bought the car, and then paid the loan back. Mm. You know, because I would I would much rather uh, use money and pay myself back, and then my my life insurance policy, because I owned a mutually owned uh, policy, my life insurance policy continued to grow regardless
1: if I had money out doing something else. Okay. And that's a great plan as long as you are that kind of person that has the discipline <laughs> to repay yourself. Right? That's, right. that's yeah, right. So there's that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, and a lot of
0: people, a lot of people won't pay it back, and that's okay if that's part of their plan. mm -hmm. But you know, um, they just need to know that going in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what? um, All right. What would be the advice that you would give for? younger people like in their 20s and 30s so that you know they're making some money they may not be rolling in it yet but they're but they're making an income what would you say is a is a way a great way for them to start out that's not gonna you know really really be hard for them financially to manage
0: two things the first thing you know none of us know if we're going to be insurable five minutes from now let alone tomorrow So go buy what's called your human life value worth of life insurance and buy that life insurance that I just talked about, the term. And as you make more money, make sure you buy the right kind of life insurance that's convertible to what I just talked about, the mutually owned cash value life insurance. Because when you buy life insurance, you save your place in line with whatever your insurance rating is. Now you could get the, typically, you know, when we're young, we're never going to get a day younger. We're never going to get a day healthier. Mm -hmm. And so get the best rating and get the best cost. And then when you start making more money, you can take pieces and parts of that and convert it to permanent coverage. The next thing. Okay.
1: Okay. So, so, yeah. So the term would be okay as long as it's something that's convertible so that you can then change it in, into something else as you become more able to.
0: Yes, and it's, it's important that it's the right kind of insurance because uh, like I have a client uh, right now, before uh, I knew her, she bought a term policy and it's with a company that it's convertible, but it doesn't grow any cash. Because it's a stock held company rather than a mutual held company, and I'll get in the weeds with all that. Okay. But it's again, it's important that you understand what kind of life insurance am I buying, and when I begin to convert this, how will it benefit me? Because I'm interested in it benefiting me more than it benefits the insurance company. Got it.
1: Yep. Yep. Perfect. Thank you.
0: So. That's the first thing, get your protection component in line, disability income protection and life insurance. And then if you're going to take advantage of the company, if they offer a 401k, one of the things that I like to ask people, um, let's just say, we'll, you know, we'll take Montana again. Mm-hmm. Would Montana imagine when she retires, that she would be in a higher, lower, or the same income tax bracket she's in today?
1: Yes. So the answer would be, she's going to imagine that it's going to be higher because she's going to imagine that she's going to be making a lot more money.
0: Good for her. Many people today still believe they're going to be in a lower income tax bracket. And my response to them is always, well, why would you want to be You've worked hard your entire life, and now you want to live on less money? They'll say, my house will be paid for. Well, don't you want to travel? Don't you want to go see grandkids? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to stop doing when you retire? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know that it's important that people really understand taxation. So the best example I can give, in 1961 in this country, for the wealthy, the marginal tax rate was 91%. That's a 91%. So people say, well, I'll never have that kind of wealth. Okay, average income at that time was $24,000 a year, which is equivalent to about $150,000 now. Mm -hmm. The income tax rate then in 1961 for that tax bracket, the marginal was 43%.
1: That is unfathomable.
0: Yeah, it's more than it is today. So we've already, it's already happened in this country. And with the kind of debt that our government is doing day after day, year after year, who's going to pay for it? You and me. Mm -hmm. So young people, especially, if you're going to take advantage of the company's 401k, make sure to ask them if they have a Roth ROTH component, rather than a traditional. And your portion that you're going to save, put it in the Roth portion. And your employer won't do that because they want it, they want the tax write-off. And the only way they can get the tax write-off if they match you is if they put it in the uh, pre-tax. But mm-hmm. think about this, you're going to put the majority of the money away. And so when you retire, the majority of the money that you take out in the Roth component, at least based on today's tax laws, that money will come out tax-free
1: because okay. you've
0: already paid the taxes on it today. Yeah, The portion that your employer put away will still be taxable, but the majority of your dollars that you put in there won't be.
1: Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. I love that. Um, and actually, that is something I've had that conversation with with our daughter with Montana in the past. Uh So um, now I can't remember how it was left. So you've reminded me to go back and ask her what she found out about (laughs) that. (laughs) Thank you. Got some homework notes here. (laughs) Okay. So my next question is, is it too late? So let's just say you're you're, uh, a woman, single or married, that's in your 40s and 50s. And you're listening to this and you're like, wow, you know, I have no clue what's going on with my money especially if you're if you're married and you you leave it all up to your partner um so is it too late for for a person in that situation to to do something to protect themselves and what you know is it too expensive by the time you get into that um stage of your life if you're you know kind of in that 50 range what do you think we could tell women in particular that are at that place.
0: You know, there's, there's a, it depends, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but I don't think it's ever too late to come get, if you will, a checkup, get a financial checkup and make sure that you understand, oh my gosh, do I have to go to the hospital to intensive care? Do I get to go uh, to Paris tomorrow? Uh, will I have the money to go visit my grandkids or do all the things that I want to do? Come get a checkup, whether it's with me or someone like me, that will be able to help you navigate where you are today. For example, I was uh, in the uh, CVS pharmacy yesterday, talking to the pharmacist, and she was 60, and we were talking about the Roth 401k, and she said, "You know, I thought it was too old," and I'm like, "No." Don't stop saving money, right? The true financial exponential curve, granted, is 30 years. You have the accumulation phase, you have the growth phase, and then you have the takeoff phase, 10, 10, and 10. But when, I mean, you know, when should you stop saving money? Never. So how much money should I save? Well, Traditionally, people will say that you should save 15% of your gross income. Where did that 15% come from? 3% for planned obsolescence, right? We know our tires are going to wear out. We know our shoes are going to wear out. We know that it's planned obsolescence. Mm -hmm. Technological change. My computer's two years old. It's probably obsolete already. We're going to have to replace those things,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's definitely should be in a museum.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, standard of living. We want to keep our standard of living. So 3% for standard of living, 3% for inflation, and 3% for taxation. That is the bare minimum that, excuse me, that we should save. Um, There was a book written by George Classen in the 40s called The Richest Man in Babylon, Mm -hmm. He talks about that you should save 30% of your gross income. And I have a friend who um, is a self-made millionaire. And she said to me, I didn't do anything special. I just saved 50% of everything I ever earned. Wow. Right. So your number is somewhere a minimum between 15 and as much as you can of your gross income and pay yourself first
1: pay yourself first, which means, yep.
0: which... So let's say that you get a check and let's say that your gross income, I'll just use an easy number because it's, you know, mm-hmm. the number's easy, and the math is easy. Let's say that you make a $100,000 a year. And mm-hmm. if you're going to save 15% of that, the minimum, that means you should pay yourself $15,000, right? Okay. Or so 15... 15- Right. So fifteen thousand dollars uh every single month you should be saving twelve hundred and fifty dollars before anything else. Okay.
1: Right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right? I see it. Makes I sense. See. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that's really good advice. Again, there's where the discipline comes in. That's you know, yes. that's it, you have to do it, though, if you're concerned about your financial health and well-being down the road. and And, yeah, so let's just go into a, a couple real quick um money mistakes because I see you post these awesome money mistake right. posts on LinkedIn all the time. And so I, I okay. grabbed a couple of them that I think you know so okay. many people can um can relate to. Um. So the the first money mistake that people make, um, I think it was your number two, spending more than you make. Right. That's, I mean, that's kind of the American way. Well, right? the,
0: the, yes, and the problem <laughs> with spending more than you make, most people don't really understand that, and why don't they understand that? Because they don't have a budget. And Mm -hmm. so budgets are not some arbitrary form of, oh, that'd be a good idea, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So you should know, you know, should you spend 25% of your income on your housing? Should you spend 15% on your savings? So if we're at 40% already, what are we going to do with the rest of the 60? So Mm -hmm. You should have an idea. You know, there's a great tool, Mint, M-I-N-T.com. If you want to take the time to set that up, it's a great way to help you uh, budget your money.
1: Oh, OK. That's interesting. I made mm-hmm. a note. All right. Um, and then number 10 was not planning uh, uh, for money mistakes, not planning for irregular expenses.
0: Um, You know, I'm sure you've heard it on TV. This is so disheartening. Most families in this country cannot pay for a $400 emergency. The number one reason for medical or for bankruptcy is medical bankruptcy. So those kinds of things, if you something happened, you ran over some spikes, and you had to replace All four of your tires, which would probably, you know, cost you between five and six hundred dollars. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: So those, you know, your child gets sick. You get Mm. sick. You know,
1: would you have the money to pay for that? Okay, so there's there's no uh, there's no cushion there. There's no extra fund for that kind of thing. Right. Okay. All right. Money mistake. And then I pulled out number 12. Having right. t- having too many never-ending payments. Right. So what do we, what we lose do
0: we the that? We, we lose the efficiency of our money. And the efficiency of our money is the most important thing that we can all do. Um, so, you know, many people, you know, also, like one time I was on a, a flight. It was a Southwest flight. And the flight attendants, uh, it was around Christmas. And they said, whoever has the most credit cards, we're going to buy you a free drink. And uh, this woman literally had 42 credit cards, right? Wow. So can you imagine? So my question was, did her husband know? Did he fall over, you know, whomever, you know, that she's responsible to? You know, financial infidelity is something that hurts us all. You know, if we're in a relationship and we're not truthful about our money, it's, it's not good for anybody and it will lead to the destruction of a relationship.
1: Yeah, that's, I've never heard it put that way, but that's a really great way to put it, financial infidelity that Mm -hmm. frames it up in a different way. Yep. Secrets, Mm -hmm. you know, the secrets keep us sick
0: Mm Mm-hmm. and afraid, you know, it's. My, you know, I'll, I'll I'll say one more thing and then uh, we can go wherever you want to. But um, so many women, especially men, too, they just don't talk about it as much. They're in fear. And there's an acronym for that that mm-hmm. I think is really important for people to understand. And the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. hmm. <laughs> I've told people for many years, you know, we all make stuff up and then we make it be true. And I have a box full of gold medals of stuff (laughs) that I've (laughs) made up to make be true. And it's just not. So we need to make sure we're not making stuff up. And one of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves when we start to do that, is it true? Yep. And if, if, if we can answer that, then we're
1: miles and miles and miles ahead. I agree. I agree. We, uh, we work with that particular, um, theory acronym a lot in coaching because that, yes. that, that just applies to so many things. I think you're spot on with that. Yep. Um, Okay, last one of the money mistakes, and I know there are a lot more because I think he, the last one I looked at was like number 49. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're, we're going to stop at number 31 here. Um, okay. Paying the wrong debt first. So, well, so yeah.
0: many times
1: people will,
0: I want to pay my house off, I want to pay my house off, I want to pay my house off. Mm -hmm. Rather than, so you've got an interest rate on your house of, let's say, 4%, Mm -hmm. but yet you've got a 27% credit card. The minute that credit card, the 27% is paid off, you're making 27% on your money. So your home, um, you know, with the lowest interest rate, is something that you can afford to take your time on, but that 27% that you're paying is just eating the efficiency of your money every single minute.
1: Yeah, so pay off the sense. high
0: interest rate stuff
1: first. Okay, okay, pay that off first. Uh, yep. Yeah, because it's a, such an inefficient use of your money. Okay. Yep, yep. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, Annie, what is your going rogue story?
0: Oh, you know, when you're my age, you've got about 79 of
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> Pick your favorite. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, I alluded to it when we first started talking earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, staying in the restaurant business and, you know, doing what I did, uh, you know, and what I was doing to myself, um, you know, really lent me to you have to stop. I had watched a movie called All That Jazz. And it was the story about Bob Fosse's life. He was a famous choreographer. And he partied hard, played hard, drank hard, drugged hard, did all of that. Now, I wasn't doing all that. I was just working from sunup to way past sundown. And I told you how much I weighed. I told you how much I was smoking. Mm-hmm. But he used to, in the morning, he would look himself in the mirror and he, while he was putting Visine in his eyes and the cigarette hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> and he would look in the mirror and he would say, it's showtime. One morning I was getting ready and um, I was putting Visine in my eyes because I hadn't had enough sleep. The cigarette wasn't hanging out of my mouth, but it wasn't <laughs> very far from me. And I looked in the mirror and I said, it's showtime. And in that instant, it was the universe telling me, Annie, you're going to die if you don't change something. Mm. So I, as I told you, I sold my business. Um, I uh, uh, started exercising and my exercise was uh, a walk down to the end of the block with my two little sweet dogs. Uh-huh. And then, um, you know, I kept that up and then I got into this business and then I was fortunate enough, I decided uh, at age 50, I would start doing triathlons.
1: Oh. And so,
0: <laughs> so, you know, obviously I'd quit smoking, I had quit smoking, I lost weight. Um, and uh, so I started doing triathlons and I am happy to say in one of the triathlons, Um, for my age group, I came in first, uh, since then, (laughs) right, since then I've hiked the Grand Canyon from rim to rim. Um, I'm doing a pilgrimage in Spain that is 560 miles long. I've completed 400 miles of it Mm -hmm. last year. I'm sorry, I take that back the year before I walked 160 miles of it, including walking over the Pyrenees. In uh, from southern France into northern Spain. Um, and so my going rogue was like, you got to do something different or you're going to die. Well, whether you've got to do something different financially or you've got to do something different uh, for your health, you've got to do something different for a relationship that is toxic, whatever it is, you have to take the first step. I always like to tell people, I know I need to lose weight. I know I need to save more money. I know I need to get a better job. Well, here's the thing. Knowing is not doing. We have to take that first step. And so that's what I did. I bought a, (laughs) my first step that I took was, you know, walking my little dogs, the end of the block, and then I bought a bicycle. And then one thing led to the next. And here I am today.
1: Yeah. Amen. (laughs) You, you, you are a rock star. You know, I knew that you were doing, yes, you, uh, I knew you were doing triathlons. I mean, cause you know, we've, Uh we've known, we've known each other for a while, but I, I had no idea about, that moment you know in the shape you were in before yes. with with the weight yep. and the in the smoking and all of that. So I had no idea uh, what your journey was to you know become capable of doing a triathlon. So my hat is off to you, lady. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank yes. you very much.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Yes, yes. Thank so, you. And
0: and I'm not finished. Oh. You know, there are still things I need to do to make myself better to make my life better, uh, you know, there, I mean, it's a, it's a never ending project and it's one of those things,
1: you know, what's your plan B? Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. You should never feel like you're finished. That's right. That's a dangerous state to get yourself into.
0: Well, it's like I always tell my brother, my brother is uh, 16 months older than I am. And he, I'm telling you, he's an old man. And I always tell Brad, you know, I don't mind getting older. I just don't want to be old.
1: Yeah. So
0: you use it or you lose it, whether it's your mind, your body, your spirit. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you know, the five uh, things of happiness. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we focus on those and the common sense happiness that you know, mm-hmm. the five principles. Right. You know, I loved in your book, you know, stop whining, bitching
1: and suffering. <laughs> exactly. Right. Just stop. Right. Just, just stop. stop. the madness. I, I know. I know. It's uh, when somebody, especially somebody like my age or even worse, somebody younger says, oh, you know, this getting old sucks or I feel I'm getting old and I just I just look at them and I, I do like a little air slap across the face and goes, you know, I'm like, shut up, you know, right. <laughs> snap right. out of it. You know, right. I don't want to hear that. You you can say you're getting older because that right. is not the same as getting right. old. Two very different no. things, my friend. So, yeah. Completely. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, so, Annie, where can um, our listeners find you in case somebody wants to contact you um, to have you help them get their financial shift together? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you for asking. Yeah. my uh, I always like to give out, I call it the back phone number or my cell phone number because that's easier to reach me on than my office. But my cell phone number is 602 616 6808 and I work with people all over the United States. It doesn't matter where you live. I'm licensed all over the US. Mm-hmm. My email address is a groth g r o t h
1: financialguide.com. Perfect. And and you're on LinkedIn as well, right? Annie Groth on LinkedIn? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And you can, I mean, you know, you can Google me and find
0: out the good, bad, ugly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's all there.
1: It's all there. You can
0: find out, you know, you can find out about Pearls of Wisdom, which is, you know, one of my yep.
1: programs for 10 years for women.
0: It's yeah. It's all
1: there. I, I love that program. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're on, aren't you on Instagram as well? Uh, only personally and very uh, okay. minimally. Okay, so not, so not for business. There. Not for business. Gotcha. No. Nope. All right. Okay, so my last question. I do have, and it, let me, oh, go let ahead. Let me just tell you one more thing. I yeah. do have uh, Pearls of Wisdom AZ um, okay. is on Facebook. Okay, perfect. Pearls of Wisdom AZ, as in Arizona, yep. you guys, on yep. Facebook. Yep. Excellent. All right. My last question for you, Annie, is... What would you share with our listeners about the value of going rogue?
0: You know, that is an interesting question. And just give me a minute to think about it. Um, they did a study several years ago um, about what people, the biggest regret they had when they were dying or knew they were close to the end of their life. And for those of us who know that we have more yesterdays than tomorrows. One of the biggest things, um, uh, the value of going rogue is not getting there and saying, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the biggest one that most people uh, regret uh, is not enough education. And does that mean going to school? I don't know. Does that mean not being educated about your money? Does that not mean not being educated about the you know, five senses of happiness. I don't know. But make sure that when you get there, that you don't ever have to go back and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I love it. Beautiful. And on that note, yes. And on that note, this has been amazing. And I think that um, everything you've shared is really valuable. And I really hope our listeners take some of your pearls of wisdom and apply them in their own life. Because, you know, as you laid out um, with numerous stories, unexpected things happen and you just can't assume that you're going to have time to put things in place that are important to you. you. Some things you just should not put off. So I really thank you for sharing this time and all of your wisdom and knowledge with us. Thank you.
0: Let me just tell you one other thing. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it's by the Buddha. Mm. And the Buddha says, the trouble is, you think you have time.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's a perfect, perfect ending note. All right.
0: I appreciate it, Lori. It was a blast, and um, I look forward to talking
1: to you soon. And you will. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. All right. Well, I hope that you all took notes. I even took notes because even though I've known Annie for um, a couple of decades now, I'm still always learning stuff from her. And uh, if you do even a few of the things that she suggested, you are going to be so much healthier when it comes to your financial well-being. I promise you. So thank you everyone for listening. I hope you found value in this and loved what you heard today. Of course, I would love it if you would share your thoughts with me and a rating would be fabulous. Of course, if you have not yet uh, subscribed, please do. That would be amazing. If you're trying to make some shift happening in your own life, and you want to find out what private coaching with me is all about, just connect with me on any of the social media platforms or head on over to lauriebischoff.com or we're talking shift.com. Until we meet again next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen in your life. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.